good. Katie, Sarah, sit down. Quit acting like you like each other. Sit down. Gracious. What? Gonna be here all day. Yeah, I know, right? Hey, happy Reformation Day, everybody. Or Halloween for all you pagans out there. Um, we are uh, taking a break from our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Mark and doing a two-part series on prepare to worship. And uh, one of the things that uh, kind of helps me frame the mentality uh, that I want us to get today is um, a thing that I've discovered on my phone. And uh, my, I had a phone, and it started having seizures and started throwing like a disco party and just blinking all the time. And so I had to get a new phone. And I got it. I got. I had to go uh, take out a mortgage, and I bought a new phone. And so I got a new one. And always they're coming out with like more features. And I'm sure this feature's been there forever, but I haven't really employed it previous to this new one. They have this mode of do not disturb on your phone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But it's like epic. It's like that phone will not work. And it'll send people, it'll just send people straight to voicemail. You're not getting anything. And I love this because, you know, there's times where I have to study or um, I meet with people. And there's maybe nothing uh, that is more agitating to me for me to plan to spend time with someone and to go to a coffee shop or to get dinner with somebody or grab lunch with somebody. And you go to meet with them and the whole entire experience... They're on their phone. Anybody? And they, I mean, it's like I have a soul and a human. And, and what you're saying when you're constantly on your phone and you're in front of people is that everybody outside of this gathering is more important than you. But when we take our phone and we put it on do not disturb and we, we maybe flip it downward and we give people our undivided attention, isn't it this like, incredible 2021 sign of respect that we give people, right? Here's the thing I know. If you go on a date night with your wife and y'all are both just sitting on your phone, right? You wasted money on the babysitter. Here's another thing, though. I have this policy that when I try to meet with people, I turn my phone off. And I, and I turn it into this do not disturb. I'm unavailable. But there's this one number in my phone that I always answer. Right? And when she calls, none of the rest of you have this. It's not her, it's not her full name. It's not Whitney Corso. It's Whitney, my love. Right? Aaron, you're my friend. It's not Aaron, my love when you call. Right? And when she calls, it's an automatic pickup, isn't it? Come on, guys. I'm trying. It's not Valentine's Day, but I'm, I'm helping you. Right? It's a pickup. It's like she has exclusive rights to my attention and my time that other people calling do not and should not have. Let me put it another way I'm unavailable. 
to everyone but one. I'm unavailable. I'm unavailable to everyone except for this one person. I love this mentality because I think it's a biblical mentality. When we come to worship and we come to the corporate gathering, we are here for one person. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And and here's, here's our danger. I think our danger is to be so hopped up on dopamine, scrolling, and so busy with a calendar packed with activities that do not lead us into the eternal. We are so bombarded with entertainment that doesn't transform our hearts and minds that we have very weak sauce focus on what truly matters. And and I think God has given uh, Christians, His people, a remedy to cure the monotony of just running from one thing to the next. And, and here's what it is. It's, it's put it on, do not disturb, it's to feast. It's to have holy days or holidays, same word, holy days. It's, it's to break up your calendar with sacred spaces to meet with the people of God and be rejuvenated. It's to be captured by the audience of one all over again. So, here's the thing I want to do. I want to, uh, let's pray. Uh, I want to jog a little bit about what we talked about last time because it's in the text for today and, it, and what we're going to talk about today kind of builds off of that. And so, let, let's pray. We're going to jog a little bit and then I want to talk about uh, Old Testament feasts. All right, let's do it. Let's pray. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we enter your courts with thanksgiving and your presence with praise because, God, we're here to worship. We're here because of you. God, it's all about you. It's all for you. And so, God, would you um, get the other activities that we have to do today, even in our church or this evening, God, would you put them to the side that our eyes might be fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, that we might be your people. So, God... um, I pray specifically, even before we get into this, for the workaholic in here who gets more satisfaction and in their identity from the money they make and the activities they do than they do from you, Creator God. God, I pray um, for us in here that are addicted. and In other words, we've put our worship at something lower than you. God, would you rescue our worship from idols, take that addiction and just help us to sink our teeth into you. And so God, uh, difficult text, a lot of things to go on today. Would you be the pastor, the shepherd, the teacher, Holy Spirit come and enable their hearts just to understand, enable my mouth to speak properly, God, anoint this sacred space and do something big. God, we pray that in the strong name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. If you want to, open your Bible Uh, to Leviticus chapter 23, Uh, elders and deacons drew straws, Toby got the short straw, so he had to read that marathon that we did, Uh, Leviticus chapter 23, you'll know Leviticus, it's where your Bible reading plan goes to die, alright, and so you were with us in worship until we started reading Leviticus, and then you were out, alright, 
But Leviticus is, is powerful for understanding the rhythms that God has built into our lives. One of those rhythms, starting in chapter 23, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts, appointed feasts. So it's like, um, come and take a date night with God. Come take a break from what you're doing. Um, Some of my older saints in here, y'all remember revivals? Remember where that was the center of the church calendar? It's when you're doing a week-long revival at the church. It's an appointed, set-apart, sacred time. Feast. So God is the God of uh, the three-day weekend. God is the God of good food, good wine, good friends, good conversation, laughs. How many people in here, when you read this, that was not your mentality growing up in church about God, that he was the God of the feast. He's the God of the God. He's the God that wants you to party really well in the best possible ways, in the deepest parts of community. So appointed feast of the Lord. They're about him. They're from him. They're about him. That you shall proclaim as holy convocations. We don't use this word until somebody graduates Right? They, they walk across a thing and there's special robes and tassels and rolled up documents and those sorts of things. So it's like this, this sacred time of remembrance. It's a convocation, which it's really weird to me that people are graduating like elementary school now. That's not a convocation, people. Do matters. All right. Sorry, that was not from the Lord. That was me. All right. Holy. These are holy convocations. They matter. All right. Um, middle school is not. Okay, and they, and they are appointed feasts. So pause, go to the next verse. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath. It's a break. It's a, the word literally, it means to cease. Of solemn rest. Right? It's a rest day. A holy convocation. You're not just resting from your regular work. It's a time of worship. It's ceasing to do this in order to do more of that. It's holy. You shall not, you shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Your rest is not about you wearing greasy sweatpants and binge watching on Netflix. It's about you going after God, reconnecting with your Creator being reminded of who he is and who you are and what life and eternity is really about. The Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So here's, let's, let's kind of jog a little bit about what we talked about last week. Last week, we started to talk about how in the Old Testament, there, there was a reverence and a seriousness about when the people of God gathered. And we talked about that the same word for assembly in the Old Testament is the same word for the assembly that we use the word church for today. In 1 Corinthians, there's a distinguishing between Christians just being out there in the world and two or three are gathered, there I am also, sure. But when the church in a locale is gathered together, there is something called the assembly of the Lord in 1 Corinthians. It's a definitive thing. Under elders, and there's preaching in that, there's commands and framework by which we do this gathering. So when we come to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians and they're talking about the order and the structure and the seriousness 
of our weekly gatherings, it is built off of something that we found in the Old Testament when God called his people out of Egypt and assembled them together at the foot of Sinai. That God dictated the terms by which you approach him. You don't just roll up on God and dictate to him how you're coming. God provided his word as means for you to know how to get at him. And coming any other way to the Mount of Sinai, y'all remember this from last week, meant death. And we said, because God is not a God to be trifled with. You don't mess around a wood chipper and expect not to lose an arm. And you're like, that's so Old Testament, is it? What, you, you haven't read Ananias and Sapphira? They get shady with their offerings, start playing with God's money in the, in the house, God's just going to wipe them out. They get whacked like weeds, Tony Soprano style. You hear what I'm saying? Because God is serious about worship. And, and this gets into my fear. My fear is that in our time, where we have a low view of Scripture, we have a low view of the church, and we have a low view of what God intends to happen here. Because of that, we walk in these doors with no expectancy. Because we haven't prepared. We, we kind of dialogue that there's generations that came before us they started getting ready for Sunday morning on Saturday night. Like maybe watching 17 episodes of Star Trek is not getting your heart ready. Right? Or going to sleep at night on your phone, passing out with blue light in your face is not the way to get your heart ready for what God wants to do this morning. Now come on moms and dads. You and I both know that if we end the day with our kids screaming at them to go to sleep, and then they wake up for us screaming at them to eat their breakfast and screaming at them to get their clothes, then we get in the car with our spouse, we pull into this parking lot, and we're screaming at each other in the parking lot, and then as soon as we pass through this holy portal, we got smiles. Right? Listen, the kids are not the only ones that wore costumes today. And we've been there. So my argument last week is that if we want to build expectancy and to get the most out of everything that God wants this assembly to be, we've got to prepare to worship. And I think it's bigger than external things like putting a tie on. Shout out, Beth. Right? I got you today. Or it's bigger than church lady hats. Amen? Or Sunday's best. Generations before us saw that. It's bigger than external things. It's about getting our heart ready. So dads, talk to me. How are you shepherding the hearts of your kids on Saturday night to get ready for church on Sunday? What, I mean, are you, are you asking Alexa and slash the government to play worship music on Sunday morning to help you get ready for this? Like, what's your rhythm? What's your Saturday night? What's your Sunday morning? Because if... We want to build in this house a, a respect, a reverence, and anticipation. Now I'm going to shoot a shot across your bow. You ain't ever late for a doctor's appointment or to show up to work. But when we come in this house, are you rolling in here late? What, why is it that everything else we can be on time but not here? 
So this is the mentality I want to come at because I love you. Where's your heart at? Because for us, it's not about the external. It's about where our heart is. So we just try to go here. And I want to have the kind of approach to worship in my own heart that is as serious and focused as Tiger Woods is for shooting a putt. When I grew up as a kid, Tiger Woods was like everything, right? Like he was just all over the news. He's kind of still all over the news, but I don't want to get into that, all right? But I remember Tiger, he did this thing where every time he would putt, he would crouch down and he had a cap on. Y'all remember this? Anybody? He had a cap, Randy. He had a cap and he would bend his cap like this. Where it would, He basically like put blinders on himself. And he would look at the terrain of the land and he, when he went to putt, he went about it the same way every time so that there was consistency in the actions he had to do directly following his approach. So here's my thing. Or, the good question here. What's your approach to coming into this assembly? What's your approach? If basketball players go through the same approach to free throws, that they might remove as many distractions with thousands of people screaming at them, if they go through the same approach, understanding the gravity of what they're going to do and how laser-focused their uh, attention needs to be, then how much more should we, who come not to something so trivial as what a 20-year-old is doing with a leather basketball, but when we come into the house of God to go at God himself. So dads, moms, grandparents, what's your approach? Students, what's your approach? How are you rolling in here? The first feast that in Leviticus starts to talk about that all the others are built off of is not a yearly thing. It's a weekly thing. It's a Sabbath. It's a weekly break and what you're doing six days, six other days in the week. It's a break. It's a Sabbath. So I think it's so peculiar, and I, I hate to not ever say this, because I think it's just marvelous. Do you realize that it's strange to the rest of the world that we as Christians every single week come in this room, and if the preaching is good, and I'm not saying that it always is, all right? But if the preaching is good, at best, I come to the Scriptures to try to convince you that you are wrong. And that I am wrong. Let God be true and every man a liar. That good preaching comes to say we are sinners, but doesn't stop there, goes all the way to the cross of Jesus Christ to say, but God is full of grace. Like, what a thing to build into your family that every single week, Lest our pride get inflated, we're going to come to a place that's just going to deflate us and then fill us with all the best kinds of things. Rock-solid truths to run into our week with. I just think it's amazing, and a lot of people don't understand, the regular pattern of Christians gathering together to hear the Word and how that just is, is a, a rhythm that God gives us as a gift that we might know Him and that we might be different. So it's built off of Sabbath. Then it moves to there to what are called the seven feasts of Moses. I'm not going to read all of them, all right? Lest you sleep, 
all right? But I'm gonna, let's get into this thing. Got it up on the screen. The seven feast of Moses. Um, go to the next one. I want to go over these a little bit. The first one um, is Passover. The second, unleavened bread. The third, first fruits. The fourth, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the first one from Leviticus 23, verse 4 through 8, Passover, which if there's any of these that you kind of get, like, it's probably this one, right? Passover. It remembered the last plague of Egypt and the blood on the doorpost and the lintel was made in like the symbol of a cross on the door so that the firstborn was not killed. Um, in my heart, I talked to the prayer meeting, and I, maybe we might come back at some later juncture, and I would love to go really in-depth to all of these feasts. I don't have time to that, but I want to just hit on each one, okay? I'm going to skim over them so that you get kind of a big, broad picture. But I think it's incredibly powerful and fascinating to study each one of these in-depth and what they have to do with Jesus. So if you'll just bear with me, let's, let's run through this. Jesus, most Christians do not understand that Passover has this thing about firstborns and judgment and like blood on the doorposts and all of this kind of stuff where death passes over us because of a blood sacrifice. All of these pictures. But I find that most Christians do not know. Did, did you know... Jesus died on Passover. Like, he did not die on Labor Day. <laughs> and the point is not Passover. The point is Jesus. Passover and these feasts are like a type or a shadow or even a prophecy that anticipated Jesus, the Passover lamb. When Jesus appears on the scene before John the Baptist. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is speaking Hebrew Passover language. Passover is not the point. Jesus is the point. Leviticus 23. So the first feast that they would have had was Passover. And there's um, the first three of these are what are called the spring festivals. Um, and the second three, uh, there's one right kind of in the middle. And then the second three, or triplet, is going to be in the fall. So this is the first of the spring. Then uh, you get the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, Leviticus 23, verse 6. So this is kind of mixed in with Passover. This is a seven-day feast that begins the day following the start of Passover. No leaven, which we've talked about this of the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven was a picture of sin. There was no leaven. So they'd clean leaven completely out of the house so that there was no leaven and they would eat unleavened bread. It, their bread, which is like a matzah, which is sort of like what we use for the crackers here, because there's no leaven in it, it breaks really easy. So they punctured it. Even today, if you buy some of the Jewish matzah bread or whatever, it's like a, it's like a wafer cracker that they take with no leaven in it and they put it into fire, which is a picture of hell, and they puncture it. So it even has this visual picture built into it. Because leaven is a picture of uncleanness. It's a picture of sin. It's a picture of decay. So clean all of that out. This is parallel to when Jesus cleansed his father's temple. 
Jesus got rid of the leaven. Not only that, this is a picture of Jesus who offers unleavened, his unleavened life, his sinless life for us on the cross. Do you realize Jesus is the unleavened one because Jesus is the sinless one? See, this piece is not, it's not about really untasty crackers. This is about Jesus. Or how about this? Uh, first fruits, Leviticus 23.10, was a wave offering. This wave offering was you took a piece of what you had, and it became a representative for all that you had. Jesus dies at Passover, but did you know that 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us that he rose from the grave on the feast of first fruits? See, when we read that, can I be as real with you as I possibly can? When Toby was reading that passage, and when I studied that week, it just seems like the most boring, irrelevant thing that you could possibly read. Amen? Right? It's just tough. Like, I mean, Leviticus 20, it's tough to make it through that. And you're like, what does this have to do with my coworker that's a jerk? Or my issues with my marriage? Or things that are going on? What does it have to do with anything that's going on in my life. Well, here's what it has to do with. The Jesus that came to die on the cross and rise from the grave that you might live forever, these feasts were regular spaces for you to anticipate Him. And now as Christians, it's an opportunity for us to look back about how God provided Him as the first fruits. That if He rises from the grave, so do you. See, if he's the first, you're following in the train. The, pa- the priest sacrificed Passover lambs on the 14th day of the month of Nisan. This is another reason why this is so complicated. Man, they got like a whole other calendar than us, right? Um, you got the next slide. Let's look at the next one because I think it maybe even shows some of this. So on one side on the interior is our calendar. On the outside is theirs. And then it kind of shows where each of these is located. So on the 15th of Nisan, the first fruits was celebrated the third day. The 16th of Nisan. The third day celebration was the same day that Jesus resurrected from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul refers to Jesus as the first fruits of the dead. He represents the first of the great harvest of souls, which if you're in Christ today, includes you. That will resurrect to eternal life because of the new covenant in his blood, Luke 22. If he, the representative, rises, then he's the first fruits for all rising that belong to God. So you can go to Leviticus 23, church. I believe you can worship. The fourth one is 50 days after that, what we call Pentecost, but what the Bible is going to call the Feast of Weeks, Leviticus 23, 16. This feast is the second of the three harvest feasts. It occurs exactly seven weeks after the Feast of the First Fruits, so it's called Pentecost, which means basically 50 days. Traditionally, people were expected to bring the first harvest of grain to the Lord, including two leavened loaves of bread. Two loaves. That's fascinating. So you got a second harvest feast 
because they would plant wheat and barley separately, so they, they had different harvests for each of those. So here's the significance. God's plan to save souls included more than just the Jews of the Old Testament, it included the Gentiles in the whole world. Through Jesus, this plan was revealed. In Matthew 9.37, Jesus tells his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Then he put the plan in place. In Acts 1.4, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Do you realize the arrival, that arrival, was the day the church was born? The church in the New Testament, filled with the Holy Spirit, was born on Pentecost. Pentecost and the first harvest of 3,000 souls happened in Acts. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit fell on the upper room and we began the age of grace. This message of two loaves is a message that Jew first and the Gentile would be brought in on God's harvest. So here's the thing. He could have dropped the Holy Spirit any single day and began the age of grace and began the church, but God ordained to do it during Pentecost. God does nothing flippantly. It's all planned. It's all according to the counsel of His own will. So, okay, so that's the spring, that, those are the spring feasts, okay? Then you had the fall feasts that were built off of this. Um, the, the Jews would have... Number uh, The fifth one is the Feast of Trumpets in Leviticus 23-24. Here's what this was. This was a big wedding-type feast party. In a beautiful declaration that God commands His people to rest, during this time all regular work is prohibited, and men and women present a food offering to God. On the same front, the sound... Okay, and, and what they would do in order to celebrate this is they would blow trumpets. So that's why they call it the Feast of Trumpets. Basically, it's a buzzer that rings and says, no more work. It's like, it's like the shot clock goes off, the final buzzer goes off. They would blow a trumpet and it would say, everybody quit what you're doing. Let's just go, let's just, let's go to the Sizzler, right? Let's go to Texas Roadhouse and get those rolls that are no good for nobody, all right? Put that cinnamon butter on them and let's just go really hard. Right? They would blow this trumpet and they would just have this like, I mean, storytelling and dancing. Do you realize that in, this, in the scriptures there are psalms in the psalms that were just songs that they would sing as they walked to Jerusalem to celebrate many of these feasts? They had worship tombs that were specific for certain times. I mean, it was like us doing Christmas carols, but like on steroids. Right? And they would blow this trumpet. It was a buzzer that sounded and it told everybody stop working. So here's the thing. If your job called you and said, oh, we're really short-handed and we need extra people to come in, you would look at them and say, no, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm in do not disturb mode. Except for one. So let me ask you this. When's the last time that you had an opportunity to invest in your relationship to God? Maybe ladies, you're going to a women's retreat, men's to a men's retreat. Maybe you're going to a conference or revival. Maybe you're getting some space and you had to do that, but you couldn't go because of work. 
Because in your priorities, just like when we put kids' sports above Sunday morning and the gathering of church, we're telling our kids something. Listen, I know how important powder is. All right? It's the same way. It's like sometimes we communicate to our bosses and our coworkers that work is more important than worship. Because when they ask us to come in, we do. Isn't that tough? I don't want to disappoint anybody. I'm not a people pleaser, but I do like to make sure that I have a reputation to uphold at work. Right? And it's tough. When they blew the trumpet, the time for work was done. This is kind of a rabbit trail, but would you say to me, how good are you at switching it off? Leaving work at work? Letting work stay up there, and when you come home, it's family, it's worship, it's the things that matter. How good are you at switching it off? How, how okay are you with not answering every email on your days off? See, they blew a trumpet and then it was over. What is amazing about this is that the trumpet in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, and in uh, 1 Thessalonians, is that the sound of a trumpet was associated with the rapture or the time when Jesus will return for his bride, when all working and kingdom building will cease. There will be no more toil, no more labor. If you knew your hymns, you would know this. You would understand what the Feast of Trumpet was about in the New Testament. Because when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, Right? Anybody know that one? The day breaks bright and fair. There should be no more toil. There should be no more work. Do you realize that they celebrated every year the fact that there's coming a day when they wouldn't work anymore? It's powerful. Number six is the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16, 23 through 2. Chapter Leviticus 16, Leviticus 23, 26 through 32. To make atonement is to make restitution for wrongs committed. As a day of humility and repentance to God, it was a time for the Jews to get their hearts and their consciences and their lives right before Him. Uh, one bull and one of the goats was an offering of thanks, but a scapegoat, the, the, the leaders and the religious leaders of Israel would cast the sins upon a scapegoat, right? And then they would release him into the wilderness. Like one was let go, the scapegoat was burdened with all the sins of Israel and sent into the wilderness. Just as Jesus, from the Jewish leaders, was condemned. And they led him outside of the city to die for the sins of the world. Number seven is the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. God tells his people to have at least one camp trip in the middle of all this. Celebration always follows the Day of Atonement. The Feast of Tabernacles celebrates God's provision and protection for the people of Israel during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. For the seven days of the feast, the people live in temporary structures like they did in the wilderness. I don't know. They just set up a homeless camp, I think. Right? The Lord himself was with the Israelites in the desert and in a tented temple, which we call the tabernacle. So this feast 
celebrates his presence when he dwelt with them in tents. God's the dad that took his kid on a camp trip for 40 years. <laughs> I go for four days and I'm like, I wonder where we could pawn these kids off at. Right? Here's the point, because we're coming up on Christmas, right? Jesus is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Here's another way to put this. The God who tabernacles among his people. He's not a distant God. He's a God with us. God tabernacled among us. This is an anticipation of his second coming. This points to the feast, the promise that God will return and rally with his people in the person of Jesus. And when he does, he has promised there is no death, no suffering, and that he himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes in Revelation 21. His return is the final answer to the hope we've waited for our entire lives. So, some theologians would say, if you go to the next one, next slide, that the first three spring, or first four uh, harvests have to do with the cross, the unleavened bread, which is the buried tomb, the first fruits is the resurrection, and Pentecost is fire falling and the Holy Spirit coming then. And in between that, you have the age of harvest. That is, you have a time of gathering souls to Jesus. And then in the fall, there's coming a day when the trumpet shall sound. We shall be raised with the Lord. He will come bodily to tabernacle among us. And we will be with Him forever. Church, Leviticus 23 is the gospel. Leviticus 23 is the gospel. So, talk to me about what your calendar looks like. This gave God's people holy convocations. Here's what those are. It's a dress rehearsal. It's a dress rehearsal and a signpost that anticipated something coming. It prepared them. It inaugurated something. It rejoiced in something. It remembered. It looked forward. So talk to me about your holidays. Talk to me about your holidays. Somebody at your house controls your calendar. It could be Google. Right? Likely your wife. Alright guys? Talk to me about your calendar. What do you got built in there that matters? Maybe here's another thing. Talk to me about your heart. What blocks in your calendar are untouchable? I'm on metal. Is hunting season untouchable? Is vacation untouchable? Is the camp trip untouchable? Listen, I'm not saying you've got to go to Israel and go dwell in a homeless shelter during the Feast of Tabernacles. That's not what I'm saying. I'm asking... What is your calendar like and why are the blocks untouchable that are untouchable? Talk to me about Thanksgiving. What you celebrate. Christmas. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Maybe a question that's popping up in our mind right now is like, why do we not celebrate these feasts today? Largely, most evangelical Christians do not. One sense of that is because of what the scripture says in Colossians chapter 2, 16 and 17, which I think is really helpful for us to maybe take this to another level. Colossians chapter 2 says, after earlier in that same chapter, 
he lays out the gospel and what the message of reconciliation is, that your debt is paid because it's been nailed to the cross. He goes into, therefore, because the gospel, how your practices work out. Colossians 2, 16-17 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. This is directly referencing the history of Leviticus chapter 23. These... Teach us, Bible. Tell us about Leviticus 23. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So many Christians would say, we look back and we, we remember those, but there is no teaching in the New Testament to say that the keeping of these are obligatory, or if you don't keep them, they're sin. While I believe, personally, they're incredibly helpful rhythms for us and helpful for understanding the gospel. There are Christian brothers and sisters that I have that keep the seven feasts of Moses because they are helpful for them to worship. And I have brothers and sisters in Christ that know what they mean and they do not keep these as a regular part of their worship or rhythm. Here's what's unbelievable in the, in the church. Do you realize that Paul said, love each other enough that if the person keeps the festival or if they don't, that you ain't tripping? You're not passing judgment. You're not looking down on them. You want to talk about Maturity. You want to talk about what a lot of churches aren't doing? Because here's the thing. Some of you, if you go out and you get free candy downtown in Durango at Halloween, there's going to be people that's like, well, they used to go to church with us, but now they worship Satan. <laughs> right? Listen, I'm just trying to daddy tax my kids all year long on the 14 barrels of candy you can get on a walk down there and back. You dress your kid as Baby Yoda. All right? Look down on me all you want. I'm about to make $400 in candy between this run. All right? I'm not trying to lose money on this thing. On the other side, can't we get really goofy about what we judge people? Now, I'm not saying that you should. There's, there's a lot of things. I, I've taught this before about Halloween. Hallow Eve. It comes before All Saints Day. It is a traditional Christian holiday that's mainly been hijacked from the culture. So I can totally see where some of the costumes and stuff you can see downtown, whether some women dressing like prostitutes or some people dressing like a demon. I could see where that's not something we want to be a part of. And at the same time, I can see how it's something that we have an opportunity to witness at. But do you see the passage here talking about don't look down on someone because they celebrate one holiday and somebody else doesn't? It's fascinating. It's mature. It's it's saying that the most important thing is the substance that belongs to Christ. It's spiritual refreshment. Christ is the substance. When have you last feasted on him? Like, you and I both get it, right? Like, there's a way to do Christmas, and it has nothing to do with Christ. There's a way to do Christmas, and it has nothing to do with Christ. And we can gobble up materialism and possessions and have, and it's not even about the incarnation of Christ. Listen, you don't want to celebrate, you, you know, like I get it, some of the Puritans, they didn't celebrate Christmas or Easter because they're not prescribed in the Bible, so they just cut out everything. Those are some bold Christian men back, those Puritans, because I skipped my wife's birthday. We are both going, I'm definitely. It's not purgatory, but it's a doghouse, all right? 
There's a way to celebrate a birthday. There's a way to celebrate Christmas. There's a way to go about Halloween. There's a way to go about Fourth of July. And it's just about you and blowing stuff up and your star-spangled swim trunks. Or there's like this way, I, I don't know, like there's this way to take what is a holiday among our culture and people and say, you know the biggest freedom that I thank God for is my freedom from sin. There's a way to go to Thanksgiving, which is also a holiday from Christians and say, I'm thankful for so much because of all that God has given me. There's a way to do Easter and remember the Passover. There's a way to do Easter and be resurrected. So when's the last time that you blocked out some space in your schedule to get in the Word, to take a week off, to get refreshed, to get in community? When's the last time you were at the center of God's will for your life? You knew exactly what your purpose was. You know exactly who your God is. You know exactly who you were. Listen, use 4th of July by all means. Use the Feast of Booths to justify that camp trip to the Grand Canyon. Get it. But in all of what you celebrate or what you don't celebrate, get Christ. Because He's eternal. After all the shadows are gone, He's still the sun. Get Him. For your birthday, just celebrate that you're still here serving. Because there's a lot of people didn't make it as far as you have made it. And their purpose and time is done, but your time in church history is still here. And you have meaning And you have mission in the meantime. Do you realize that for... (laughs) To break up the monotony of your schedule, God says seven times a year I want you to party well. I think a lot of times we look back on ancient peoples and we think they just work 24-7. There might be a way in which we're working ourselves to death and partying less than them. Three times a year of these seven feasts, our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament had to road trip from wherever they lived to Jerusalem. Right? He's the God of the Dodge Caravan. Right? Let me, let, me put it to you. let me put it to you another way. God in the Old Testament didn't just give us the law. God gave us a calendar. God in the Old Testament loved us so much that He didn't just give us the law. He gave us a calendar. I think that this is just me, but maybe stay with me. I come from a drug culture. I come from places where people work themselves into an early grave. I find that sometimes people 
who are addicted to work because of, it just gives them a place of meaning and affirmation that they can't stop working. They eventually run themselves in the ground and when they take vacation, they use drugs because it's, a, it's cheaper than flying to Cancun. It's the poor man's vacay. It's quick, it's easy. We burn ourselves out at work and then we just try to... Here's what it is, it's escape. But then we come right back to it and nothing, not our work, nor our hearts, nor our situation has changed. See, God calls us to escape or to exit work that we might enter into His presence. And there's Christians in here that will tell you when you enter into His presence, all things change. Did for me. He's the best addiction I've ever had. You exit and escape from this that you might enter into that. And when you're in His presence, just things change. Chief among them, myself. So God's saying, I'm not just giving you the law, I'm giving you a calendar. Some people may say that God's, or the Jews, their catechism was their calendar. They taught and discipled based on how their calendar taught and discipled. So here's the thing, our parties preach something. Our vacations preach something. Our breaks preach something. Our days off preach something. They preach something. I don't know what, you know, if you want to keep these seven feasts, if they do you that, or if you don't. I think Colossians is going to teach us that we're free to employ them and to use them, and we should, and how you do that, you know, is between you and how the Lord leads you. But here's what we're clearly not free to do. We're not free to look back at these feasts in a way that dishonors God and forget Him altogether. Because forgetting Him altogether is dishonoring. So as Christians, my brothers and sisters, we want to learn to feast in such a way that we're tasting God's supernatural goodness as we enjoy the natural taste of turkey and green bean casserole. As we laugh at our kids that are dressed up. As we wear the star-spangled shorts. So maybe, maybe my heart for our church is that we would rediscover the lost art of feasting. A Godward-looking, Jesus-focused, celebrating, anticipating, and worshiping that is just excited about what God is doing. Here's the thing that I know, and I'm going to end here. Good feasting requires preparation. And that's why this series, Prepare to Worship, just like your Sunday mornings require preparation to take advantage of all that God has for you here, if you're going to to your calendar, if you're going to break up the monotony of your rhythms so that you can keep Christ at the center, it's going to require preparation. I'm not saying that you've got to hijack the argument that's going to happen at Thanksgiving this year about COVID. 
and just start quoting Leviticus. That's not what I'm arguing here, all right? Even though it may be an, <clears throat> an improvement. Um, what I'm arguing is, is that you're going to have to prepare and have to make some decisions to put Christ at the center of everything that you do. It's not happening on autopilot. It's not happening on autopilot. So here's the question. Can you find God in your holidays? Does your calendar preach to the rest of us anything other than your selfishness? Is it all just surface things for you? Or is it something deep as true and as long as eternity? Is Jesus at the center or is he hard to find? Um, this is how I think about it, and I'm going to apologize right in advance. Um, do you all remember uh, Where's Waldo? you all remember that? They used to have these posters up, and they would put up, you could buy books of it and just waste time. Just like the big posters of Where's Waldo. One of the most disturbing things that I learned when I moved to France is that in France they have him, but his name is not Waldo. It's Charlie. The French took our Waldo, renamed him Charlie. Où est Charlie? What? So, like, but I love these books. And basically, here's the thing. Waldo's this character that's in the middle of this picture that looks exactly like him. Like, all the stuff is so similar to him that when you look at it, you can't find him. And he's always, like, hiding behind, like, an elephant or something, like, creeping out from the back. And you're trying to find where he's at in the whole thing. And because it's just full of that like red and white color, like somebody else has like borrowed one of his sweaters or something, it's like super hard to find him because it's crowded and messy. And so for you, you have to actually train your attention and look around and, and actually zoom in on some of the details to see him. See, this is exactly for me where my holidays are, if I'm just honest with you. And even how church can be. You can go to so many churches and they're so cluttered that you never see the gospel. It's like, what does any of this have to do with Jesus? So our weekly gatherings, if that becomes the case, we can zoom out to fourth and What does any of this stuff have to do with Jesus? Because he's one more thing in the midst of a picture full of clutter, full of mess. So here's my thing. I, I want to pray maybe for us to find Jesus in the midst of all the mess and all the stuff trying to camouflage him in. Just like my heart is when we go through the Bible, we're finding Jesus. Because first and foremost, it ain't about you. It's about him. Amen? Let me pray for you. And then we're going to come and take communion. Dear me, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for this people. You love them. You love them, you love them, you love them. You have poured out abundantly your grace and mercy, and we know that chiefly through the cross and the resurrection. Thank you for teaching us about the cross in the Old Testament. 
Thank you for giving us hope in the Old Testament. God, thank you for not only the law, but God, thank you for the calendar. God, would you help my brothers and sisters to make the hard decisions to build their lives around you? To order their steps according to your ways. To have spaces in their lives where they can be disturbed by no one but you. God, in our distracted times, Holy Spirit, would you come and heal our focus and put it on yourself? God, I love this people. God, I want them to be holy and healthy. And so, God, would you come and instigate, set things on fire, move. God, we don't want a good talk, we want action. And so, God, would you give each person here leadership in the actions and the steps that they need to take as a result of what your word has said? God, work in our hearts and prepare us to worship. Pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said. take communion. We serve a God who is faithful and who does what he says he's going to do. Leviticus chapter 23 is the gospel and thousands of years before Jesus came and died on Passover, rose on first fruits, and the Holy Spirit was sent on Pentecost, God put those things in there as a picture to point to what he was going to do. Even thousands of years more before Jesus comes back, he's instituted the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, Feast of Booths, when Jesus will come and be our king. We have the advantage of time to look back on some of those things, whereas we just saw in Mark, Jesus explained plainly, in plain language, to his disciples that he had to die and be persecuted and that he would rise again for their sins. And Peter rebuked him. I'm grateful that we serve a God who does the things that he says he's going to do. In Isaiah chapters 52 and 53, I'm going to read to you for a minute, but not as long as Toby. So it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind so shall he sprinkle many nations kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. First Peter chapter 2. juice, what the wine is, what the bread is, the blood of Jesus, the body of Jesus. First Peter chapter 2. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is for people who know their sin and know their need of a Savior and know that Jesus is that Savior, the way, the truth, the life, and who are proclaiming that gospel that it happened and that it is what saves you, that his blood and his body are what save you from your sin. So we're going to come take that, we're going to come proclaim that, and we're going to worship God because he is worthy and has done this for us through his son. So whoever's going to come and, and help with that, go ahead and come do that. I don't know who that is. I can help with that. Toby, you and me. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to come. We're going we're gonna to remember what Jesus did. We're going to thank God that he is faithful to do what he says he will do. And expectantly wait his return in this proclamation of his gospel. Father God, we thank you for your son. We thank you that his body was broken and his blood was shed so that we might have forgiveness of sins. And that he became one of the sheep to save all of us stupid sheep running around in our sin and that he's our shepherd too that the shepherd became a sheep and saved us god we thank you and we love you and it's in your son's name we pray amen